Artistic Whispers Productions presents Let us make man in our own image, said God. Man, dear gentlemen, return the favor. You're listening to Sculpting God, a podcast anthology written and read by J. Daniel Sawyer. These stories contain enough terror, sex, violence, and wonder to keep you awake all night. Sculpting God. Is there a God? If there is, what does it mean to be a God? What if somewhere in the cosmos there's a room? In that room, there's a creature. Around that creature are screens and controls, and with them he watches the universe. What if he controls what is done? And when, and by whom? Would he then in fact be God? Fiddling away somewhere with the perfect view, seeing everything that happens, living out his days and nights in a control room. It was morning at the center of the cosmos, the dawn of a new epoch in the eternity of history. The scattered bits of matter that lay dormant sprang to life once again, and in his room, Control's panels blinked on, the vast systems slipping one by one out of automatic. They all needed immediate attention as the great machines ground agonizingly to life. In the vast eternity of the cosmos, there was never enough time. Not when an era began and everything wanted doing at once. Supplies had to be cataloged, acquired, and distributed. Energy had to be generated to spin up the great furnaces. Forces had to be adjusted to keep the universe in balance. Armies needed to be mustered to reinforce the front lines and prepare for the future. There would be new invasions to put down. There always were. Control, being adept at his task, ran through it almost without thinking. Send a message to the general on the southern front demanding an update on the invasion defense. Would the space-time breach be a problem? Then read the reply back almost before the dispatch left his desk. The enemies still massed in the south. There were always, always problems down there. Control sent a dozen more legions to aid in the defense. The redeployment meant they would need more supplies down there, but that wasn't a problem. The population never shrank, and Control always juggled the lines. He sent a handful of orders, shifting the pace and loading of the great highways to meet the needs of an ever-expanding population for food, air, and moisture. Transportation, that was a problem. Enough food and essentials often coursed through the universe to feed twice its current population. But even when there was an excess, the highways couldn't always reach those in need. Some beings died as a result. There were always more to replace them. The excesses that did accumulate were stored in time-proof silos situated strategically near vital areas ready to speed to the needy in times of famine, plague, and war. There were always wars. Civil wars were constantly fought between the races, bitter rivalries that had existed since time began. At any given time, there were hundreds of such wars disrupting the cosmos and making Control's job more... interesting. 
The wars had to be monitored constantly. Sometimes he had to send in the military when one faction grew too strong. The inconvenient truth was that he needed something from each side, in every war, to remain stable. Otherwise, Control would have taken great delight in wiping the universe free of their expensive nuisance. He might have turned it into a hobby. Not having to worry about the wars would have given him time for a hobby. Fortunately, there were others upon whom he could vent his frustration. Invaders. Waves of them, each species different and strong, most of whom would have been capable of dominating or destroying the entire universe if Control's armies ever showed their weaknesses. Control wasn't sure where they came from, but he knew they traveled through great rifts in the fabric of the universe. Some were capable of hearing his communications with his own armies and anticipating his strategies, and when that happened, he had to send out the terror troops. The terror troops were his best. They were brilliant strategists in their own right. They always succeeded where the armies failed. Well, almost. For the past several eons, there had been one enemy that kept coming back. Control couldn't beat it back no matter how hard he worked, no matter what host he sent against them. Lately, he'd found out that they were hanging on by brainwashing the terror troops, his terror troops, doing the enemy's bidding, working for them. Time and again, Control had thought it wiped out, and time and again, it appeared in his own troops, an ideological malignancy that corrupted their loyalties before bursting their bodies. An alien that gestated inside his own people and weakened his armies. He now feared he'd never be rid of it. The dawn of the new epoch brought a string of new invasions. Something, presumably a new race, had introduced a new chemical weapon that was burning and killing its way through sector after sector. Where it didn't kill, it maimed. The general that had been near the front line described the delivery device as a pair of spears that came straight through the fabric of space. Almost as soon as they came through, they were gone again. The generals were now reporting a dilution in the agent. As it spread, its power diminished. Populations newly affected were falling ill, but recovering. And though the delivery point would still be a pit of burning ruin for some centuries, the areas around it were rebuilding. The flurry of activity settled down as the new epoch got underway. The machines were warm and lubricated, spinning the orbits competently. They didn't need his attention. The armies were carrying out their orders, and they would call him if they needed him. Control settled down in his room and took the free time to think, relax, and take stock. He was, even by his own subjective standards, a thoroughly odd being, and it never ceased to fascinate him. He didn't know what he looked like. There was no looking glass and no reflective surface in the room, and it didn't occur to him to have one brought. He knew his subjects as well as any ruler could be expected to, but he never actually met them aside from chats over the dispatch channels. Those were spent mainly giving orders and answering the constant requests for proprietary information. He never left his room. The whole universe would stop if he did. And, come to think of it, he couldn't remember a time before he'd been in the room. For all he knew, the universe could be a toy or a video game he'd been bred to operate. Yet, he knew with full and inexplicable certainty that the universe did not, and could not, exist without him, nor he without it. He was the mover, yet he was dependent upon the moved. His subjects brought him his food and his moisture, they cleaned his air. They protected his room against invaders that wanted to take his place, 
they kept him informed of the goings-on in every corner of the universe. Art, music, war, culture. He knew everything. He considered himself a god. And by most standards, he was correct. Although he was constantly busy, he found the time to write songs, play with mathematics, and paint masterful works of art to wow all who saw, heard, or thought about them. At times, he entertained the idea that some of the lesser sentients, a class of his subjugates, were as aware and intelligent as he was. But the mere idea was so ludicrous that he sometimes turned the universe on its side, laughing about it. There was a notion he acquired from one of these apparently autonomous beings that he could create an entirely new universe with its own control, if he wished. All he had to do was concentrate his mind and all the processes of the cosmos around this goal. Then, when it was ready, he was to exile 40 million unproductive sluggards, and they would do all the dirty work. It was a fantastic idea, and it so intrigued him that he looked for many epochs before he spotted a proper time and place to accomplish this act of creation. For all the bluster and fanfare, the experiment didn't work well at all. Or, rather, if it did, he had no way to find out. But the sudden and permanent release of 40 million hungry mouths that produced nothing but more of their own kind anyway was such a relief that he resolved to continue attempting indefinitely. Besides, he found the mere attempt to be as pleasurable as writing a particularly good song. It was like cleaning out an old room. Pure satisfaction. Since then, the act of cosmic creation had become a regular part of his epochal routine. The difficulty of it was, to accomplish it, he had to let all the minor systems run themselves for a few eons. And if the wars were particularly bad, this became a problem. There had been one time early on when such an attempt almost cost him a major war with a particularly ugly and wily species that surely would have destroyed the universe had he not found a way to work out an uneasy truce. Control had resolved never to put himself in that position again. And with the wars as bad as they'd been lately, cosmic creation was the last thing on his mind. His job had gotten difficult lately. Not only did he have to micromanage every economy in the vast, infinite universe, he had to do it in a way that kept the system running in near-perfect balance. In addition, his subjects were perpetually bombarding him with questions on everything from ethics, When is it right to kill? and procedure, for cosmic creation to survival what should we eat to history how long ago was to the thoroughly asinine how much would, would a one check check if a one check one check what and he was required to provide an answer to each one or risk destroying the delicate balance he had so painstakingly fostered in the cosmos Millions of ages had passed in the timelessness of Control's room, time back from eternity, more than he could count, but Control had been there every moment through every epoch. He never imagined that he could tire of the job he seemed made for, if he had been made at all. Eternity always trickled by at a steady pace. Or had. Recently, time seemed to be slowing down. The cosmic streams didn't flow like they used to. The supply movers seemed on the brink of rebellion. And even the great machines didn't run like they once did. All of this made it increasingly difficult to move the universe out of the paths of the gigantic asteroids and comets that tried to break it apart from time to time. Control also found that his wits weren't as quick as they once were, and the library computer even seemed to be slowing down. He sometimes left questions unanswered for ages. 
too busy to bother with them or too daunted to attempt them. Besides, the universe required more attention than it used to. The wars were rougher and bloodier than they'd ever been. And some enemy species were organizing under the banner of the bastards who kept turning and murdering his terror troops. It was a good alliance for them. They were forming permanent colonies. Why couldn't they stay in their own universes? The sheer rudeness appalled him. Control certainly never tried to influence anything beyond the universe. Right now, someone in the cosmos was asking a series of particularly maddening religious questions. It was just his damnable fate to hear all thoughts, to be the god of the universe, and yet be constrained to answer dullards on issues that were self-evident. Is there really a god? Wouldn't there have to be? How can I know for sure? Look around you. Who do you think keeps all this running? I wonder who God is. Does he care about me? Does I am God, you idiot. And I... Control stopped mid-sentence. There was an enormous, bright comet heading straight for the center of the universe, big enough to rip apart the cosmos for good. He veered the controls wildly and shouted at the great machines. The comet screamed as it came near, as if warning him to move the universe out of the way the machines didn't react right away. They couldn't shift gears like they did in eons past. The comet's brilliance made Control close his eyes just as the machines leapt into motion together. But as they started to move, he wondered, Can the universe be destroyed? Isn't the cosmos forever? Was it possible that the universe, which had no discernible beginning, could actually end? Wasn't it as eternal as he was? And even if it was, what hope was there against these new invaders? Even with the mysterious reinforcements he received from unknown friends outside the universe, the battle with the terror-maiming invaders could not be won. If the universe could end, wouldn't it be better that it end now, rather than letting these invasions ruin it forever? What kind of a god would he be if he let such slime destroy the beauty of his universe? He ordered the great machines to pause. It was the biggest decision he'd ever face. He had to ponder it properly. There was still time to consider. Though he hated to admit it, he knew from the recent changes in the universe that it could end, and would eventually. Or, if not end, it would at least change. Perhaps it wouldn't need him anymore. He also knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was as eternal as the universe, and that if it ended, he would too. He would end. And suddenly he didn't want to give up. He couldn't allow it to end, no matter how war and invaders corrupted it. He knew beyond certainty that the cosmos was about to end, scattered across the void in a billion trillion droplets and pebbles, and that he did not want it to happen. He shouted at the great machines to resume moving. For a moment, amidst the light and sound, Control thought they were in time, that he'd escape the calamity. All would be safe. And then, to his horror, he saw that the machines had moved too late. The comet struck. The universe exploded. Through the edges of the destruction, Control heard someone speaking. Words in the mist beyond the universe. All right, what happened here? I, I don't know, officer. The old fool stepped right into the road as I was coming around the corner. I laid on the brakes, but I couldn't stop the, I the ice, you see. And he froze up and he looked at me. I laid on the horn, but he wouldn't move out of the way. Ah, poor Reg. You know, he was a painter. Reginald Calden? Yeah. Poor guy's been sick a long time. 
They say his old lady gave him, well, she gave it to him out of spite. He's probably better off this way. How fast were you going? 60, 65? I don't know. There was more. It all happened so fast. But it was too quiet to hear. The lights went out in Control's room. Night fell at the center of the cosmos. You have been listening to Control Room, written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer. Music kindly furnished by the following Podsafe Music Network affiliated artists. Axe Pure, Green Druid, and Adhesion. Opening quote by Voltaire. Sound design, recording, mixing, and post-production services for Control Room, courtesy Artistic Whispers Productions, Castro Valley, California. This production is available under a Creative Commons non-commercial attribution no derivatives license. And the story upon which it is based is copyright 1999 J. Daniel Sawyer. This recording copyright 2007 J. Daniel Sawyer. All rights reserved to the author. Control Room is one of the more unusual stories I've brought you so far, or that I'm going to bring you at all. It doesn't have a plot, it doesn't really have any characters. It should have been a creative writing exercise that stopped at that, but ever since I wrote it, I haven't been able to leave it alone. Of all the questions that human beings ask themselves, there are four that seem unanswerable. Who or what is God? Who or what am I? What does it all mean? And what is mind? When we consider our own minds, when we try to understand what we are, what we truly are, beyond the parts and the pieces of our bodies, it's natural to imagine that somewhere inside, there's a line dividing our body from our soul. Freud called it the superego, that part of us which rules all the rest, the king of the metaphysical castle. The philosopher René Descartes said, When I consider the mind, or myself insofar as I am a thinking thing, I am unable to distinguish any parts within myself. By contrast, there is no corporeal or extended thing that I cannot think of, which, in my thought, I cannot easily divide into parts. And this very fact makes me understand that it is divisible. This one argument would be enough to show me that the mind is completely different from the body. Of course... Today, neuroscience tells us that, whatever else the mind is, it does depend on an organ, the brain. When the shape of that brain is changed, who we are seems to change. Our personality, our likes and dislikes, our values, our beliefs. Is there anything left that makes us who we are? Daniel Dennett calls this view the Cartesian theater. The notion that somewhere inside us, there's a little man who runs everything. And that little man is what we call our soul. The movie Men in Black used this idea for comical effect when the alien ambassador was revealed to be a little alien inside a human's head, running the body with dials and controls and levers. When I was in college, this question vexed me. I couldn't get it out of my head. Reading Freud and Descartes made me wonder if they could be right, if there really was a thing we could call a soul, or if we just wished there were. Writing Control Room was an attempt to explore the idea, and that's why I still tinker with it. I wonder, if there is a god, wouldn't he also go through the same thing? Or that could be me falling victim to Voltaire's caution that man, being a gentleman, always creates god in his own image. 
I hope you enjoyed the story. Send feedback to feedback at jdsawyer.net or leave audio comments at area code 206-376-1925. Keep up with my ethereal doings at www.jdsawyer.net and be sure to check out my article on 3D graphics in this quarter's Linux Plus magazine. If you have a podcast you want to pimp, I am looking for promos to play during the show. Send a promo of two minutes or less my way and I'll throw it into the banter section of the cast. A special thank you to the Reason Driven Podcast at reasondriven.blogspot.com for running our promo, and to the Going Linux Podcast at www.goinglinux.com for helping us out as well. Tune in next time for the story of Rick, a VR shopkeeper who can't seem to get away from the dead body that showed up in his arena in We Create Worlds. Until next time. Sculpting God is written and directed by J. Daniel Sawyer. Web design, production, and post-production services provided by Artistic Whispers Productions in Castro Valley, California, www.artisticwhispers.com. Theme music for this podcast provided by Podsafe Music Network Artists, 100-Year Picnic, and 2012. (laughs) 